Good morning, everyone, and a very happy Palm Sunday to each of you. Palm Sunday is the first day of the week this week, Holy Week, before the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ on Easter. Since today is Palm Sunday, I'd like to talk to you about prevenient grace occurring in the first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago and still occurring today. So if you could please turn to Matthew 21 and then place your thumb in Luke 19. Both those, Luke 19 will be our central text, but Matthew 21 is where we'll start. Prevenient grace is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit's work in drawing us before coming to know the Lord. Pre means before, and venient means to come. Vini in French means come. Remember in Latin the famous quote of Julius Caesar in 46 B.C., Vini, Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. So prevenient grace is the Holy Spirit's work of drawing men to Christ before coming. And you can trace that work in your own life and in your family's life. At Easter, my Jewish friend Gary Cohen shared his experience of prevenient grace, which drew him and eventually his entire family to their Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. At the age of 18, Gary was challenged by a fellow student who chided him, you're a Jew and you don't even know your own history. Go read the Bible. So Gary bought an entire Bible at a Bible bookstore, not knowing that there was a Jewish Old Testament, and he read the entire book and trusted Christ as his Savior. Consequently, his father disowned him and kicked him out of the house and did not speak to him for two years. He accused Gary, you have joined the religion of Hitler who destroyed our people. But through prevenient grace, the Holy Spirit brought other kind Christians into his father's life and he began listening to his son's testimony. And he too trusts the Lord as his Savior. Since that time, four family members have come to know the Messiah's Savior, including Gary's aunt, who paid $14,000 to have him psychiatrically deprogrammed from Christianity. After working with Gary a few days, the Jewish psychiatrist told the aunt, leave him alone since he has a faith and a hope that you and I do not have, and it's unshakable. What a testimony from an unbelieving Jewish psychiatrist. Sometimes we strain out gnats and swallow a camel. As a boy, Gary told me he learned Hebrew fluently, and he would listen to the rabbis arguing in Hebrew whether Zechariah 9, 9, and 10 meant that the Messiah would come to them with two donkeys or one. A colt or a mature donkey. The Hebrew can be translated either way. Zechariah 9 9 says this Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt and the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nation. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All prophecy is prevenient. All prophecy is delivered before coming 
to pass. Zechariah wrote this passage in 520 B.C., more than 500 years before God, the bringer of peace, through Emmanuel, appeared. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us. Prevenient peace and prevenient grace was prophesied by Zechariah. Today, we could resolve that rabbi's argument, and both Jews would have been happy. Because it's very interesting that Matthew 21, 1 through 9, shows that both interpretations of that scripture are correct. Isn't that just like the Lord fulfilling every jot and tittle of the Old Testament prophecies made 550 years before in 520 B.C.? A jot and a tittle is the like the dot on an I and the cross on a T, the little tiny marks, all fulfilled in Scripture by the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, took his name, it says, as the Word of God. His name, Word of God. May the Lord rivet our attention to the Word of God. This morning, direct our hearts to the Word of God. Because Christ was riding on the unweaned colt, which was following its mother as she was being led. Read with me, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 9. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, both. And if anyone says anything to you, You shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save now. Save now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now turn to me to Luke 19. We're going to read verses 28 through 44. It's our central text. And what I want you to note as I read this is only the colt is mentioned in Luke because Luke focuses only on the animal on which Christ rode. Luke 19, verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he came near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near, 
the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let me stop right and point out that this is nearly the identical message that the angels announced at Christ's birth. The angels said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Whereas the men on Palm Sunday were saying, peace in heaven. Each group was praising glory in the highest and recognizing the Prince of Peace and King of Heaven in the contrary sphere. Isn't that interesting? Prophetically recognizing their creator as the one who would bring peace. Bringer of peace. Verse 39 and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, You had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you on in every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. I want you to note verse 41. On Palm Sunday, one week before the resurrection, while the Lord Jesus was riding the colt of a donkey like a humble servant, during the triumphal entry, with people spreading their clothes on the ground for him to ride on, waving palm branches and shouting praises of acclamation, Jesus, as he approached, isn't that a strange reaction to the acclaim, to the hosannas, to the waving palm branches? Yet he knew what was in man. He knew within five days, many of the same crowd would shout, away with him, crucify him. So why did he weep? during this joyous celebration of the triumphal entry. I believe it was because of his prevenient awareness called omniscient, all things. He knew the results of their choosing against him. If only you had known what would bring you peace. This was emotionally difficult for the Lord. He knew Zion was the city of the great king, and yet Israel was rejecting her king. The Lord felt regret for their decision, not regret for himself or the cross that he faced, but regret for their decision to reject their Messiah King. If only you'd known what would bring you peace. If only they would accept the Prince of Peace who has now arrived. Mark records the same Palm Sunday activity and then quotes the crowd, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Hosanna in the highest. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Why do you suppose that he rode the colt directly to the temple and then looked around at all things? He was no doubt thinking, if only you had known what would bring you peace. But instead, in 37 years, not one stone would be left upon another. Titus in 70 A.D. would completely destroy the temple and much of Jerusalem. Christ was considering its prevenient 
forthcoming destruction. And he was thinking, if only. One week later was the pivotal point in history which we celebrate as Easter Sunday, the first day of the week when the Lord Jesus Christ raised triumphantly from the dead. In fact, this is why we and the early church meet on Sunday rather than on the Sabbath. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrow now. From the fight return victorious. Every knee to him shall bow. All worship, honor to the risen prince. As the church, we give that honor every Sunday rather than the Sabbath. And as individual believers, we give that honor every day we acknowledge his worthiness because he was the Messiah, the anointed of God. He will return in great splendor and glory, not on a colt of a donkey like a humble servant, but this time as the King of kings and Lord of lords, riding on a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven, all on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Revelation 19 says this, in verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation. And he himself will rule over them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, let's look at the prevenient judgment, the before coming judgment from the one called faithful and true, found in Zechariah 12, and it starts at verse 9. Zechariah 12 and verse 9. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning that headed Remen in the plain of Megiddo and the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. Now, prophetically, the situation is reversed in that future day. The Savior is not weeping over Jerusalem. All Jerusalem, each solitary family member, is weeping privately over their Savior, over their Messiah. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. All Israel will mourn and weep. If only I had not rejected our Messiah. If only I had not pierced and crucified our Savior, who is very God himself. 
If only I had known who would bring us peace. All Israel will individually feel great remorse, intense grief and regret. All Israel will wail, if only. But not only the house of Israel. Many from all nations will privately experience weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and profound regret and remorse. As Matthew 24 says this, verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So all the tribes of the earth will mourn and say, if only we had known who would bring us peace. Each person will experience private mourning and individual grief and remorse. Matthew twenty-two thirteen says, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Mark 9.43 says, It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth suggest strong remorse, regret, and even anger. If only, if only I had trusted Christ as Savior. If only I had not rejected the one who died for me. If only I had trusted the one who would bring me peace. The sacred scripture is describing intense remorse. Remember this. Any rejection of God's light is fatal and eventually result in regret and remorse. There may even be some regret and remorse for Christians when we first get to heaven. For scripture says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Those saved, yet so is by fire will no doubt say, if only I had shown more love for my brethren and for the risen, glorified Prince of Peace. In all these future instances, people weep or mourn over their own rebellious rejection of the Savior, Christ the Lord. Only in the instance of Jesus' Palm Sunday weeping was his mourning for the response of others rejecting him as Messiah. Now, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If Christ is not raised from the dead, if his bones were truly found in an ossuary, according to the premise of a recent movie, because the men who made that film know that if they truly had proof, It would send all of Christianity crashing to the ground, and that's what they were desperately trying to do, just like the Romans and the Jews of the first century. But in a future judgment day, those same men will say, I had heard the truth, but I rejected it. If only, common lament among many of mankind, if only, 
they will experience a common regret. Look at the regression in our more than 2,000-year timeline study today. First, a weeping Christ, then a weeping Jerusalem, then a weeping Israel, then a weeping world, then a weeping judgment of the damned, then a final weeping of some saints in glory when God shall wipe away all tears. But one common lament among the unbelievers, they are all weeping for the rejection of the man of sorrows who's now the resurrected king of kings. So how can we be sure the film crew of the ossuary bones has got it wrong and we've got it right? Here are some of the proofs. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greatest part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, the twin witnesses of both people and scripture. Verse 5, Christ appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Many of those died for their faith because they had physically seen the risen Christ and were absolutely faithfully committed to their risen Lord. Seen by more than 500 at once, but some have fallen asleep. When believers die in the New Testament, they are spoken of as fallen asleep. That's because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their soul and spirit instantly wake up and live in endless reality with the Lord in heaven in the presence of Christ for all eternity. They have eternal life. Their body will be resurrected later, according to 1 Thessalonians 4. But Christ's death was never spoken of in this way. In Scripture, the language is very clear. Not fallen asleep, but he died. Scripture never says he fell asleep. That's because many unbelievers hold the heretical spurious theory that he swooned or that he never really died. He merely fell unconscious and then revived in a cool tomb. Scripture very clearly blasts these theories in dynamic language. He died. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercession for us. These are powerful verbs describing a powerful event. Verse 8, last of all, he appeared to me, and the man stating this was the Apostle Paul, who willingly laid down his life because he saw and experienced the risen Christ. He willingly faced martyrdom from, for Caesar from, for being a faithful witness to the risen Lord Jesus. If only we had eyes to see the risen, glorified Son of God like Stephen did as he was being stoned to death. If only we loved the risen Prince of Peace more. As believers, all of us sing, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear now the prayer I make on bended knee. And yet... Scripture clearly tells us how we are to demonstrate our love to the resurrected Lord. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least my brethren, you've done it unto me. No grudges, no disdain, no room for dislike of a Christian brother or sister. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Scripture is clear. This is the acid test for all of us. The one who loves God loves his brother all. Most of the problem of the church of Ephesus in Revelation was that it had lost its first love. Let's not be guilty of that so we don't suffer 
the remorse of if only. And if you are still an unbeliever today, you run the risk of even a greater remorse. If only I had trusted Christ as my Savior. Heard the gospel many times, but rejected God's good news of salvation. By the fact you are seated here this morning, you are swimming close to the net. The great shepherd who is also the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the great fisher of men has given you the opportunity to be caught up all believers. Don't reject him again and in the future. Bemoan your judgment by saying, if only, because either Christ will bear your sin or you will bear your own. Either Christ will bear your judgment or you will suffer your own. He died once, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. First Peter 3 says that, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. My friend Gary Cohen realized that as a young Jew, reading the scripture for the first time, as he knelt in prayer and trusted Christ as his Savior. It's our prayer that you will realize your need of a Savior too, and trust him whom to know is life eternal, with no regrets, no remorse, and no if only. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for your prevenient grace this morning on those who have rejected your Messiah. Draw them by your Holy Spirit. Work the works you have done so many times in the past. Ignite our hearts as you did that first Palm Sunday so that we too acclaim with a loud voice peace in heaven and glory in the highest as we look forward to rejoicing and worshiping our Savior next Resurrection Sunday. We give you thanks for that opportunity to worship you this morning, for breaking the bread that represents your body, for drinking the cup that represents your blood, as we think and remember that you asked us to do. In Christ's name, amen.